God be the glory, right? These songs have so much power. They have such great truth. And then the magic of music can get into our soul. Oh, I love this season of the year here at Grace. Um, Christmas season, it's, you know, it's a birthday party, right? I mean, we know it's the birthday party of Jesus the Christ. But I want you to remember this. It was a surprise birthday, right? It was a surprise party. And here's why. G.K. Chesterton says this. I love this quote. The very essence of Christmas is that it breaks upon you brilliantly and abruptly. At one moment, the great day is not, and the next moment, the great day is. Jesus' birthday was a surprise party. There were people of faith praying that God would come and invade their experience, and he did. And they were surprised. (laughs) They didn't think he would. The Christmas story is a story of, of faithful saints praying that God would answer their prayer, and he does, and they're shocked. Men of faith, women of faith, maybe like me, maybe like you, and their faith isn't very strong, and they're asking that God of the universe would take charge and be in control, and then he shows himself to be in charge and in control, and they're shocked by it. That's, you know, he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and then when he does it, we're like, what? That's why it's a surprise. It's a surprise birthday party because people who prayed didn't think their prayers were going to be answered, and so they were surprised. That's why it's a surprise party. Look at the players involved. You have to understand the context to fully appreciate the shock and awe of this. Uh, When you open the New Testament, you'll see that the Christmas story is a Jewish story. And in the context of the nation of Israel, the Jews, they are, Israel is living in the God-promised land, but it's not really theirs. They're renting. They are in submission to Rome. And Rome says, you can do what we say you can do, you must stay in subjection to us. So even while they're practicing some of their their rituals and their rites, it's only because at that time, Rome said so. The emperor of Rome had appointed someone to be in charge of that area in the Middle East where Israel is. His name was Herod the Great. And you know why they called him Herod the Great? Because Herod said so. And so the people did. Herod is, was a paranoid, bloodthirsty sociopath. Anybody that was a, possibly a remote threat to him, he killed them, just killed them. He killed two of his sons-in-law. He killed his favorite wife. How do you think he treated his not-so-favorite wives, right? He had killed two of his, of his own sons. As he's coming to the end of his career, it's very obvious he would be dying soon, and he just knew that the people that he had been ruling over wouldn't mourn his death. And so, and so, he gathered up hundreds of the most popular people in in the land and imprisoned them, and the order was that when he died, they all died, and that would ensure that all of his ruling people would have a moment of mourning. He was trying to set the tone for his death. Wow. Okay, well, let me just tell you how that ended. He died, and the man in charge of, you know, giving out the order to kill all these people, he said, nah, we're not going to do that. 
set them all free. So anyway, I just thought you didn't want to know that before we moved on. <laughs> Crazy story. I mean, so anyway, before, before Rome had ruled over Israel, the Greeks. Uh, in the 3.30 or so, I'm rounding, but Alexander the Great defeated Persia and took over the land of what we called the West and the Middle East. And you know why they called him Alexander the Great? Because Alexander said so. That's right. And even actually Israel under Alexander's rule, he was, uh, he was lenient to them and they got to practice. They had a, a great deal of freedom at the time. But after Alexander died, it continued to digress and they spiraled down and it got worse and worse and worse. And even the last hundred years under that rule was, was dreadful. And then that led to the Romans. The point is this. By the time you open the New Testament, there is a loss of hope and there is shame in their identity. If, if you could visualize this, Israel as a nation is, is descending into a dark cave for 400 years. It has gotten to the point where they are completely blacked out. There's no light of hope or identity or meaning. Life, I mean, it's, if you've been in these caves, you can't see your hand in front of your face. That's the context when we talk about this story that we're going to look at. And the story we're looking at today, it's, it's not that bright, but when you've been living that long in that kind of darkness, this is just like a baby lightning bug. But when it lights, you can see a smile in someone else's faith. You can see a smile in someone else's faith. That's the story we're looking at today. In Luke chapter 1, he says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, very well-bred, good family line, right? And her name was Elizabeth. <clears throat> and they were both righteous before God. They were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes before the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. In the days of Herod, there has never been a sentence written with so much subtlety. In the days of Herod, while he is holding them down with his boot on their throat, that's what, is, that's what this story is about. And it, we, we're introduced to two of our characters here uh, and, and they, are, they are righteous, and they are living a blameless life. And in this context, living by faith is moment by moment. Any given moment, you could just snap and quit. If you made this into a movie, the writers would inject some kind of sarcastic, nagging, cynical teenager as part of the plot because he or she would speak what's on everyone's mind, right? So while they're trying to maintain their faith and live righteously under all the statutes, there's this other teen saying, you know, what difference does faith make anyway? What's it getting us? It's so embarrassing being a Jew today. Everybody makes fun of us. Where's God anyway? Did you know it's getting worse, right? Every year it gets worse. That's what's, that's the voice. And while Zechariah doesn't have a cynical, nagging teenager living in his house, he would probably like one, actually. He's childless. He has a cynical, 
nagging teenager living in his head. And he has to choose to rise above that. He has to choose to live by faith. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And when Zechariah hopes, he hopes that Israel would be rescued. He hopes that she would be restored, the dignity that she deserves. The other character that's introduced is Elizabeth. She hopes. She's hoped her whole life against her personal experiences, and she has hoped against the calendar, against the hourglass, and she's run out of sand. When she was younger and of childbearing ages, she could not conceive. She was incapable of doing that. Her hopes for a child, they're behind her. And it's in that context that this story is written, these two characters are introduced, and then it is, it is by lottery, okay, it, by lottery, Zechariah's turn is picked to go into the temple and light the incense, the altar of incense. And this is where we get this flicker of hope in this desperate dark cave. It says, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and he fell upon and fear fell upon him. Uh, one translation says uh, he feared, he, uh, he was paralyzed in fear. Surprise. <laughs> right? Look, look what happens. And the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer, your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. Surprise! An answer to prayer. If you can, I mean, I can't imagine what he's going through, but this, this angel, archangel Gabriel says to him, Hey, you're going to be a father, old man. Wait till you tell your wife, because this is going to be a special boy. And here's how what's going to happen next, obviously. And you will have joy and gladness gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and he will bring he will be great before the lord oh yeah there's joy and gladness and rejoicing because it's a surprise party and that's what people do that's how people respond that's a good thing he's going to be a special boy in the eyes of god he's not going to eat or he's not going to drink wine or any strong drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even when he's in his mother's womb prayer answered and this is, uh, Gabriel here is almost playing Santa Claus. I mean, he's like, okay, so Elizabeth got her prayer answered. What about you? I've got a little gift in my bag for you. G Gabriel says, here's something for you, Zechariah. And then 16 and 17. And John, this son of yours, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready the people to prepare them for the Lord. Boom. I mean, <laughs> this is everything Zechariah had hoped for his whole life. This is the answer to his prayer. He's going to give birth to a son, but the longing that he's always had is this restoration of Israel. That he could, that, that she would be returned to her glory. His whole life, his whole life, he prayed for this prayer. And then his whole married life, for 42 years, the day he was married, he was praying that they would have a child. And so here it is, the answer to both these prayers, and it's surprise. And his response is, no way. And when he says no way, he means no. Like, there's no way this can happen. 
Do you know how old we are? And my wife, she is barren. And that doesn't go well. And so this is what happens next. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife's not so good either. And my wife is advanced in years as well. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> and, then he's, and the angel answered him and says, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the very presence of God. And I, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold... You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in this time. I answer to God Almighty. I spend my working days in his presence. I've seen his face. He sent me to tell you these things. Surprise. But you don't believe. And so this will be your sign. You'll be mute until the day that boy is born. Now, what's happening outside is Zechariah's been spending too much time inside, you know, this confined area. And they're wondering if he's even alive. And when he finally comes out, the people that have been waiting and praying for this event to take place, that he comes out, and he can't speak. So he's doing sign language and trying to communicate to them. And they realize he's had a vision. He's had an experience with God. And, and so that's how that part of the story ends. And they go home, it says, and, and Elizabeth is thinking, oh, my prayers have been answered. I've been praying to God that this man would shut his mouth when I talk to him. He can't talk to me. I've got a few things to say to him. But there's more, Elizabeth. There's more to your prayer, it says. It says a few days later, they conceived. And it says later, it says, it continues to say that she didn't tell anyone for five months. Now, we don't know. I suspect the reason she waited five months is she has a history of miscarriages. And she just wants to wait till that day where she can tell people and it, it'll, be a, it'll be a take. You see? So she waited. It says she waits five months. And thus the Lord has done to me. This is her. Thus the Lord has done for me in these days. And he has looked upon me. And he has taken away the reproach of other people on me. Surprise. I told you it's a surprise party. Everyone in this story is surprised. And here's the application, right? This is the application. It's the definition of faith. The Christmas story defines what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Then and now. It is the things hoped for. It is the, th it's the conviction of things not seen. What do you hope for then and now? You hope to not be forgotten. You hope that God is listening. You hope that you are remembered. You hope that God knows you. You need assurance of that hope. The people in this story are living with very little assurance of what they hope for. What do they have a conviction of what they don't see? And I would say maybe it's a belief and leaning towards an opinion. Then and now, what do you not see? You do not see oftentimes that God is in charge. 
that God is the boss. And you look around, and in this context, you see Herod. And to have a conviction that God is, control, is in control, that he is all-powerful and loving and just and does whatever he wants whenever he wants, that's hard to have a conviction about because clearly I don't see it. And the Christmas story is people in this story living by faith, and I would say a weak faith, but it's a faith. They are surprised by Yahweh knowing them and being in control and answering their prayers because they believe. It is a husband and a wife that I personally can relate to because they do have faith. It's just not a really strong faith. And when God answers their prayer, they're surprised. That's the story here. The story of Christmas is God fulfilling his promises. And we're shocked. The promise he fulfills is this. You are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. And ironically, ironically, it is during the Christmas season that most people, is the time where many people feel isolated and alone. This is the time of year when suicide rates go up, where you can see on the internet or various places where people will advertise knowing that this is the season of the year where people feel most forgotten. Does God even care? And I, I say ironically because this is the time of year that this is the story. This is the story that proves that God does care and God does know. But this is when loneliness sits heavy upon our shoulders. And loneliness and isolation, it is not prejudice. Equal opportunity hunter. Whether you are in a corner office with panoramic views or you are in the basement sorting the mail, you ask yourself, does anybody know? Does anybody care? Does anybody really even understand what I live with day in and day out? Anyone? Anyone? This time of year is hard. For me, for the last 20 years, this season, November, mid-November to January 15th, it comes on me like a truck. I just, I just like, I, I, I think somewhere around the 20th of November, I go, oh, look, there's a little black spot on the sun today. And I keep thinking, oh, no, no, this year it's going to be different. This year it's going to pass over. It's going to be a great year, all 12 months. But nope, the 20th rolls around. It's like, hello, darkness, darkness, my old friend. Here you are. How long are you going to be here? You know the rules till January 15th. I go, mm. The difference between my first decade of doing this and the last decade is I've made rules because now I know better. You know, I've made rules like I don't make promises when I'm happy. I don't respond when I'm angry and I don't make decisions when I'm sad. There it is. Matt, don't make decisions from November 20th to January 15th and you'll stay inside the rails. Be like it's every decision. What are you going to have for dinner? I don't know. I don't know. You decide. I don't know. People, other people make decisions for me during this time. This October was especially awesome because I was reading um, Steinbeck's East of Eden. 608 pages of gloom and despair. And it's a longer book than I thought. And I, was a pro, I, I turned the corner and it was November like 10th. And I still had 
200 pages to go. And I thought, I've got to finish this before the 20th because who, what's going to happen to me? I can't be reading this book. Every chapter is darker and meaner and crueler. So anyway, I, I just stayed up at night and I put my little reading thing on two times the speed, two and a half times. Now it's the chipmunk reading Steinbeck. <laughs> so because I, I'm, I, my due date was two, you know, November 19th or else, you know, can't be reading this kind of literature during, I, you've heard the in, Incredible Hulk? Okay, I turn into the Incredible Sulk. You should invite me to your Christmas party. I'm a big hit. So anyway, the point is, the point is, there's a point here, is the Christmas story, and it's a true story, and it's this story. This is the, sto- this is the part of the story you need to know, that absolutely independent of your feelings, God cares for you. Separate from your experiences, separate from your situation, God is with you. God is with you at this very moment. And his presence is power. That's what this story says. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Doesn't matter your experiences. God loves you. And he is for you. One of the central themes in the entire Bible is God is present. When one Old Testament scholar counted that there are 115 times in the Old Testament where God says this promise, I will never leave you, be encouraged. It's the foundational reason why God required them to build the tabernacle and then later the temple. It is the reason that God sent his son to be with us, to tabernacle amongst us. Name him Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus was here, who was he running around with? I don't know, guys like us. Tax collectors, you know, enemy soldiers, just regular people, in other words, not people that had to qualify. He was with them. And then, and then at the end of the story, Matthew's gospel, right, his, his biography of Jesus, it ends with this promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's his promise. And when he, Jesus leaves, he doesn't leave like in the Older Testament. He leaves a new way where the Spirit of God dwells in our souls so that we are never without the presence of God. That's the point. I am here. And the power that we have is in that very presence. It is the power to make weak people strong. It is the power that has old people in in the, the need for courage. It gives them hope in their old age. It is the resurrection power helps people in addiction overcome those addictions. The Christmas story is this. It is the fulfillment of the promise that God is with us. Don't be surprised. The second promise that this story is, is about is that God is in control. The conviction of things not seen. God ro- rules all of creation. And the promise is, I am in control. That's what God said. Here's the thing. In God's sovereignty, that means he rules with a plan. He is playing like a three-layered chess and quietly. It's more than we can understand and more subtle than we would like. He's moving pieces around, and we need to trust by faith, have a conviction of things that we don't see, 
or else we'll give in to the demons in our lives that are, that are you know, messages like from Jean-Paul Sartre. You know, we are meaning-seeking creatures in a meaningless existence. Richard Dawkins says this. I know, this is, the, this is this cynical teenager that's trying to get in. The universe offers no design, no purpose, but nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's the doubt we're trying to force away from our life. Or we can hold on to this promise. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works all things to work together for the good. For those who love him and call to his purpose. That's a fact. Don't be surprised. Here's a bigger picture absolute declaration of how God is ruling the universe in this context of this story, it goes like this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the time had fully come. Some of you know this verse as saying, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. Three-layered chess in quiet. When this declaration to Zechariah and Elizabeth is made, it's 400 years in the making. Alexander the Great conquers Persia and the West and the Middle East. His personal tutor is Aristotle. Aristotle was hoping that Alexander the Great would be the philosopher king that Socrates wrote about, right? And so... Everywhere Alexander would go, he would set up these education centers. And in the context of those centers, everyone would learn Greek so they could learn classic Greek philosophy. Everywhere he went, he realized he could unify this great empire through a common language. Alexander the Great, uniting that empire with language. Mm, Or it could be in the fullness of time that he used this nerd and all his nerd values to make sure that everyone would be able to receive the invitation to the big surprise birthday party in a language they would understand. The invitations are going out soon, and by soon I mean about 300 years, but I want to make sure everyone can read it. So, Alexander, make sure everybody learns Greek. Got it, Alexander the Great. He was a pawn. And when the Romans moved in, they did what, you know, the nerds did as much as they could. The Romans, they're Klingons, they're jocks. You know, they like military strength. And so they said, we're going to build roads everywhere. All roads lead to Rome. Because the way we rule, we want a battalion of the military to show up at your door two days after you make some stupid comment. And so they built the Roman roads to advance their military power and control. They were going to unite their kingdom through these roads. Or maybe there was something else going on in the fullness of time. All these invitation letters written, but there's no mail system to deliver them. What we need is some roads. And so the Romans, they built the first UPS mail delivery system. Thanks, guys. The, the, the surprise party invitations made their way, and their gospel went throughout all of Europe and the Middle East because God was using 
the Greeks and the Romans and everyone else because that's what Yahweh does because he's the boss. Is Yahweh the boss? Is he in control? Can he do whatever he wants? Can he use anyone he wants? Can he use Alexander? Uh-huh. Can he use like Herod? Sure. Can he use Caesar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the way it was then. It's the way it is now. So why so afraid? Why so angry? Boy, would you be surprised when you found out what was really going on. Living by faith means that you're not surprised or not as surprised as you would be because you, re- you're, you, you begin to understand the Christmas story is, is this. God is saying, I am with you, always have been, and I am in control and always have been. The Christmas story is an answer to prayer. The Christmas story is this. God's saying to us, I hear your prayers. Think about Elizabeth here. She's wanted a child since her childhood, and she was praying all along, right? And then it's way past her time, and she continues to pray. And, she, and you know, like surprised, shock, joy, like it's going to happen. It says repeatedly that she is past her time. She's in old age, and so is, so is Zachariah. So if you could just, okay, picture this. If she's in this church, right? What Sunday school class would she go to? What adult community, right? One of the older ones, right, maybe? So she's in this, like, the older women's senior Sabbath school class. And they're doing prayer requests, and they're like, uh, Thelma, Thelma's getting a new hip on Tuesday. Let's all pray for Thelma, okay? And, and Wanda, what's it? Wanda fell down again. Okay, that's it. Let's pray. Wait, Elizabeth? Wait. Okay, settle down. What? What? Do you have a prayer request? Do you have something to announce? What? You are what? I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Hey, Wilma, I have not been gaining weight. I'm pregnant. <laughs> Giving birth to a boy. Forgive the details on this in the biology here, but this is where the miracle takes place, okay? She could never hold a conception in the days of her prime. She has nothing but a series of miscarriages, and it looks like it even might be a miscarriage of hope. She finds no serenity in accepting the things that she cannot change. That's her young life. And then came menopause. And she didn't stop praying. Menopause is a declarative statement that says, your dreams are dead. Your hope is in your past. That's what that word means for a woman like Elizabeth. But she kept praying. And then, surprise, who shows up in her life but Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Wow. Let me be clear. It only takes one egg, and you have one left. I've been hiding it all these years. Think about that. 
think about that. And you're going to bring him to full term, and his name will be John, and he's going to change things around. You are not alone, Elizabeth. You are part of a sorority of greatness. You join the ladies, Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Rebecca, Isaac's wife, and Rachel, Jacob's wife, and Samson's mother, all barren, all past their age, all miraculously gifted with a child. You are not alone, but rather you can relate to some of the greatest saints in all of history. So there. Surprise. What are we to do? Boy, if we could just if we could just have a little more faith, we would be a little less surprised, right? If we had a little more faith, we'd be a little less surprised. And I, I think when we pray, I think we should look and seek and and look, you know, like seek out how God would answer our prayers, whatever they might be. They might be prayers like, am I alone, right? I would love to have a conviction of things that I don't see. I would love to have assurance of things that I just hope for. I long for mercy, you know, justice and mercy and safety. And maybe it's, maybe it's there, we just don't see it, and maybe we don't see it because we're not looking for it. Many of you know kind of a modern parable of makes the point of a Native American in New York City during the holiday season, and he's taken there by one of his friends, and, and they're in there right, right in the middle of New York, right, with all the horns honking and the cab guys yelling at each other and sirens going off constantly and all the people. It's just noise. It is the city of unrelenting sound. And this is the epicenter of all that volume. And the Native American says, I just heard a cricket. And his friend said, no, you didn't. You, that, was a, that was something. No, I heard a cricket. It's impossible. You can't hear anything like that with this level of decibels. And he goes, so he crosses the street, goes in one of these concrete potted plant things and pulls out this cricket and says, there it is. He goes, oh, you've got like that super Native American hyper sound thing going, right? Right? He goes, no, no, that's not it at all. You can hear what's important to you. You, you, can, you can hear what matters to you. It's just, it's, it's what you're listening for. That's the difference. And what you listen for is what's important to you. He goes, no, you've got super hearing. He goes, watch this. The Indian pulls out, you know, a bunch of coins, throws them on the sidewalk. Bing, bing. Everyone 20 feet from that sound. Stop, turn, and look. And the Native American said, see, that's what's important to them. And that's what they were listening for. So it all depends on what's important. Living by faith, graduating and growing in our faith means we're looking for how God is working amongst us in his power. And we're looking for God, how God is with us in his presence. And one other application. God has in his sovereignty, he has a plan and he has the power to make the plan work, put you in this place at this time for this very purpose. He has sent you here to be his priest to your family and to your friends and to people on your street and the people you work with. Open your ears. See what God has for you. The 
The point is this. You bring that message. You bring this message that we're talking about, that Christmas is a surprise party. And the surprise is that our souls, your friends, they're praying not to be so lonely. They would love to know about the presence of God and the power that it accompanies that. They would love to know that God is in charge in this crazy world that we live in right now. You could be that messenger. Look around, not just for what God is doing, but what God has brought for you to tell that story about. It's a good story, Christmas story. It's about a surprise party. We'll talk more about that next week. Let's pray. But the angel Gabriel, archangel Gabriel, said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before our Lord. Lord, we just sang that you know our needs and our weaknesses are no stranger to you. I'd ask that we would have a conviction of that thing that we might not see, that we would have a certainty about the things that we hope for. Lord, would you give us a vision for what you're doing all around us? Would you give us, a, 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 I guess, a clarity of your presence in our life? And Lord, I, I want us to be less surprised at your miraculous interventions in our life. So I'd ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see who you've placed in our lives so that we might enjoy being your spokesperson, your ambassador, your Gabriel archangel to the people in our lives. We pray that we would be a church like that, a group of people that just see and hear things that only angels do. Let us be that. In Jesus' name, amen.